0: Let's take our Bibles, get right to it, let's go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, and uh, we've read this chapter, or it's most of it, um, a couple of the previous two weeks, Um, but I think we're going to read from verse 30 uh, of chapter 15 through verse 10 of Acts chapter 16. Uh, It will kind of hold where we're where we've been, but also where we're going. Uh, Acts chapter 15, beginning now at verse 30. So, when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, "'Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do.' And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark." "...but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed on to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches." Then, he came, then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have, him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all about all that his father was a Greek." And as they went through the cities, they delivered them to the decrees for to keep, that there were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Pergia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they had come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not, and they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. And Let's just open in prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, once again, thank you for the opportunity to be here, to have the Word of God in front of us. Now envelop it within our very being, that the Holy Spirit would take it to the every region of our minds, Father, that it would be completely, and we would be completely immersed in the Word. Father, change us where we need to be changed. Uh, give us everything we need, Father, to be more of what Jesus Christ did and accomplished here on earth, loving others, being a servant. Father, there are those here today that are struggling. There are situations and trials and circumstances that are outside of what they wouldn't do, it would seem possible to get through it. Father, you know them. You know the situations before they did. Father, deal with those, with those folks that need you desperately. Put your arms of love around them that they would recognize that you are a sovereign God. There is nothing, anything, or anywhere that can stymie you that you are fully and completely in charge. Father, we rest our world on that. Father, you made it. You are in control. Now, Father, take the word, and that the Holy Spirit, we ask, Father, would be exclusively our teacher today. Take and use the word to build us, to grow us, to encourage us, and to make us even stronger disciples for you. We'll ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been cruising through, maybe that's not the right word, we've been crawling through the book of Acts. Um, It's been, uh, hopefully for you, as uh, remarkably enlightening uh, to you as well as to me. It's been fun. This one, I've been through it several times, I've taught it, and uh, this one here is deeper. It's, it's, it's more robust, the best that I've ever been a part of being, and I'm hoping that God has used it in that manner for you. It's the beginning of the church, um, and we're in the church age. This, this is really, uh, circumstantially, this is us. When we're talking about Acts, that's you. This is where it all began. Uh, because of what happened at the Feast of Pentecost, literally, Jesus Christ giving that what should we say that I was going to, the command, if you will, passing the baton, I want you guys to go spread the gospel to the entire world. And there was 11 of those guys. (laughs) Whoa, right? Talk about a job, a mission. Talk about daunting. But it was something He gave them. And He spoke of it even as we have this this picture, or whatever it, you might call it on the side, the last time that the disciples were together, the last communion, the last time that they feasted together. And he told them around that time, guys, I'm going to leave. Why, why would you want to leave? We need you to be the king of Israel and, be the, and, and finally take over the world. Why would you leave now? Because if I don't leave, then the Comforter cannot come. And the Comforter is what you really need because the Comforter is going to live within you. I don't think they got that. I'm here today, though, every one of you in this room, and anyone can hear my voice anywhere in the world on the Internet. If you've accepted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you. God lives within you. That's powerful. And by the way, that's the only way possibly that the church could have been established. There's no other way. It's Christ being lived out through Christians and the power of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God to literally pass the message across the globe. It's fun for me to. Uh, some of the radio ministries, uh, Transworld Radio, those that are able to, you know, through invisible waves, broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ out of the Word of God behind walls that you and I can't physically go in because we're not allowed to preach inside that country, and yet radio waves can be sent inside and received by those people. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? No matter what man will do, God will go further. God will do more. It will be stronger. His Word will never cease to exist. We can have Hitler's, we can have everyone that would possibly try to extinguish its, its wealth and its life, and it will never be done. Praise God. That's the message literally is going to, was going out. Um, in way of just getting to where we are at today, uh, the Gospel has has spread. It spread from Jerusalem and went to Samaria. It went literally north further. It went into the Gentile world, as you, as you are here today, as the recipients of what happened. But this passage of scripture that I just read, there's a whole lot of names of places and things that maybe I didn't even pronounce properly, and it sometimes just gets foggy. But right there in this session of where God is using. Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey. Laramie, i of maybe have you just put the map back up. I think you have all three missionary journeys on that particular map. So, it allows us to kind of see where he was going again. And it's for me, I, I'm kind of a visual guy. And when I just, if I just read that passage of Scripture without a map, I'm like, ooh, I didn't get any of that, right? I haven't, how many of you have been to Bithynia? No. How many of you have been to, what? no, right? And so, so, you ask somebody from New York City, have you been to Sheridan, Montana? No, you know, they're just blank. They have no idea. But if we live in Sheridan, we know a lot of the aspects of Sheridan, Montana. Now, you ask me if I've been to New York City. I say no, and I have no planning on going there either. (laughs) I like Sheridan, right? Well, these places, yeah, it is. It's got all the the different colors. The one we're going to be focusing on today would be the color orange. Uh, I think that's the one, right? There we go. Um, yeah, I think it's, where is it? Yeah, right here. Green. I've got it wrong. My, oh, that's, I know why. My map in my Bible has orange for the second missionary journey. <laughs> However, the green line is the one that we'll be dealing with in the second missionary journey. But not going too fast, too far, it is interesting that before we even get to this journey, it, it, there's something about Paul that's so, it, it's just infectious, and that's his passion. He loves to preach the gospel. And that's not something you can teach, right? You can't teach passion for the gospel. And yet, having passion for the gospel is just as important today as it was then. Do we have that? I'll tell you how you get it. You read the Word. That passion comes from being, I think of that, remember where, well, you don't remember it, but in Exodus chapter around like 34, Moses went up in the mountain, and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And just being in the presence, if you will, he never looked at God. Just being in the presence, he came down the mountain, and his face shone so brightly that people couldn't even look at him. In fact, he put a veil on, and he didn't even know he was like that. You know what? When, you are, when you're studying God's Word so vehemently, you won't even know how much you look like Jesus. Others will, though. Others will see Jesus in you, and literally your world becomes changed because of what's happened on the inside. That's literally what happened to Paul. You know, he was one wicked dude, wasn't he? I mean, he, he persecuted Christians. I mean, now that's a, that's a job description. Here's his resume. From, and I don't know the years, but let's just say, from 34 AD to 38 AD, I'm making those numbers up, but I went on his resume, persecuted and killed Christians. We may not need him. <laughs> right? He was zealous and everything, but when Jesus Christ knocked him to his knees, but blinding his eyes for the shy again, <laughs> talking about light, he couldn't see. And literally he was turned on to Jesus Christ. From that day forward, he gave every piece of his life to be a messenger of the gospel. That's who Paul was. But let's back step for just a moment. I want, I want to bring chapter fifteen because it's a critical time. Let's say that you had lived. Let's just pick a town. Let's say that you were uh, you were from. Oh, let's just say. Where's a good spot? Antioch of Pisidia. Okay, that was a place that the disciples had kind of you know they'd gotten there. They'd spread the word. The church was going. Was growing. And someone by the name of a Jewish person and two came in behind Paul and Barnabas and said, "Uh, we hear that you guys got Jesus. We did. I'll tell you the gospel. Isn't it fantastic? Grace. Jesus Christ paid the price. And we just receive that by faith and we're saved. Oh, that's part of it, guys. That's part of it. You also have to be circumcised. And you have to follow the Jewish law, because you see, Jesus was a Jew, so you have to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. Do you see, how would you feel? Oh, in fact, the words, I don't know if we talked about it last week or not, but let's go to chapter 15 for a moment. And they're writing this letter, and that's what we're talking about today, is James acting on behalf of the church in Jerusalem and having sent two additional men to verify the message of the letter that's sent, he says something in verse 24 of chapter 15. There's two words that are just that, they're troubling. Verse 24 of Acts 15, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us The Jews in Jerusalem have troubled, that word troubled, you, with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. We did not send those men out. They went of their own accord, and literally they wanted to add all the Jewish customs to Jesus, so it was grace plus something else. That message is promoted all over the world today, grace plus something else, and it's an insidious lie. But that word subvert literally would mean a military coup that would come into a city and literally destroy it. So everyone within that city was bankrupt. That's what's behind that word subvert. Troubled is to literally tear down, to take everything away from you. Those two words were used in that verse. That's how you would have felt if someone would have said, Your salvation isn't good enough. Because you didn't just wake up and become a Jew. You had to come through all of the right channels. Uh, You could be a proselyte. You could start to begin to follow the customs. But if you weren't born Jewish, you were just one step back all of the time. You just never could get there. Now, what does that do in legalism? We talked about this, and this is important. Is there anything wrong with the law? Not at all. Not at all. Grace does not give us license to break the law. No, no, a thousand times no. But legalism is what's usually promoted by the sense of other than grace or added to grace. And legalism is a sense that brings pride because there's a sense of looking down at anyone that is not doing whatever we perceive to be the thing to do. That's legalism. It has nothing to do with law. Mark that carefully. Sometimes if I put law and I put legalism on the board, you sometimes would see them very much the same. But legalism is using the law to promote self and to exalt in Pride. That's what legalism is. That's literally what Paul was just taking to task in the book of Galatians, which is written to the Judaizers or the legalists, the ones that were using everything to pump themselves up, saying that someone had received the gospel by grace. I'm sorry, receive grace by faith alone were not enough. That is still an insidious lie across our world today. There are churches. I'm using those words carefully. I'm not going to name anybody here because it's not that. If it's anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the price. He's offered the gift, grace, that we receive by faith alone. That's how you get saved. Nothing else. That's the gospel. Added to or subtracted from, in other words, you make Jesus less than God. You have destroyed it just that way. Someone that says, says Jesus Christ is a half-brother to Jesus or is a created being, run away. Jesus Christ is God. One of the translations says in John 1.1 1, 1, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. I've changed it completely with adding one, one thing. No, Jesus Christ is God. You have to make him God before he can literally save you. Nothing less. No, I'm sorry, no one less could have saved you from sin except for God himself. The incarnation. Jesus Christ became man. God became man. Emmanuel, God with us. That very essence as the angel described that on that evening. Emmanuel, God is with us. He died for us. See, anything less than that, then grace is not grace either. If you diminish who Jesus was, then grace is not fully grace. At any rate, they're writing a letter, back to our letter in Acts chapter 15. And he's wanting to come and give some sense of encouragement by the sense of what salvation is. Now, we are, to, we are saved by grace alone, but how are we to live? That's what we went on last week. We are to live by love. It's true, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, we are not to, in other words there's people that get saved then they say it's grace, there's no law, we can do whatever we want. No, a thousand times no. Liberty is being able to do the right thing. Right? And when you're a sinner when you, when you have, have Jesus Christ you couldn't do the right thing if it hit you in the head. You can't do it. Now you may do a few things that are easier for you but you cannot live free to God. You're owned by something called sin the biggest catastrophe this world has ever known. And Jesus Christ is the one that broke that bond. I've told you before, sometimes in those instances of temptation, that and each one of us have different areas of which we're more susceptible to. I don't know what yours is, you may not know what mine is, but it doesn't know. It's amazing how Jesus Christ, through the Word of God, gives you exactly what you need to break free. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There's no temptation that's come unto you that's uncommon to you, but God is with the temptation giving you a way to escape. Now it's amazing, and when I do fall, I turn around and I say, There it was. There was my escape route. Missed it, right? That's why it's so important for us to stay immersed in the Word of God. He breaks the power of sin. And sometimes, just for me to hear from my own mouth, I am not a slave to sin anymore. Just hearing that, it's true. It doesn't make it any more true that I say it aloud. But for me to just hear it, because that's what, that's what Jesus did. He broke the bondage of sin. Isn't it good to know that? Absolutely. Remind ourselves of that. There's no sin that has any power over you whatsoever. None. Zero zip. The Holy Spirit lives within us. That's what this whole thing is about. They're writing this letter. James wants them to go back to those churches, give them the good news that it's grace through faith alone. Now, if you were in that audience that, that actually described, they went and started working through the churches to give this the real message. In fact, where they went initially was to Antioch in Syria. That was home base for the church, if you will, of the Gentiles. That was kind of where it happened. Okay? And as that multitude was gathered, and you would have been with some sense of in fact, I had you in the wrong spot. I wanted you not in Antioch of Pisidia, I want you in Antioch of Syria. You're a Christian there, your boots are underneath this table, and you're going to listen as Paul and Silas have entered the room. They've got a letter. There's two more guys that are accompanying them, guys by the name of Silas, and what was that other guy's name? Judas of Barabbas, or, or Barsabbas. Uh, there's two guys came from Jerusalem. I wonder what this is going to be, and you probably have some sense of anxiety. What if it is being a Jew? What if you have to be a Jew to be able to be saved? This looks terrible. That wasn't the news at all. They received the fact that it was, in fact, grace through faith alone to be saved. We are to live by love, though. We are to be considerate of others around us. There are some things that you shouldn't do. The freedom would allow you to do it, but your liberty in Christ allows you to think from Jesus' life himself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you love me, you will also care about the lives of others. We live by love, right? Look at how they received it. Talk about a blast, a good one. Uh, Verse 30, it says, chapter 15, when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and this one right here, in Syria. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, this letter, which when they had read it, what did they do? They did four things, they rejoiced. That is fantastic news for the consolation. That was encouragement. You truly, fa- friends, you are a Gentile and you can remain a Gentile because Jesus Christ paid for your sin and you must only have grace through faith then you're saved. Ah! Must have been a celebration, right? It would have been. It is the same today. Judas and Silas being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. He, they, can, you know, have any, I, went, I remember going to uh, the church where I grew up in, back in North Dakota, there was confirmation classes. I don't know if any of you attended those or not, but that was the point of building up, if you will. It was to take the Word of God and build your life up based on the foundation of confirmation. That's literally what these two men... Now, these two men, why would they come from Jerusalem? See, they took this journey from Jerusalem. The Council of Jerusalem met. They go all the way up to Antioch. Why? You don't think Barnabas and Paul could have given this? They have a letter. Well, there's something about having two more... Because think of this, just in the sake of these people in Antioch, there's two more men that came from the church in Jerusalem to literally validate that what Paul and Barnabas were saying was exactly true. It wasn't a letter they made up. They said the same thing. In fact, with many words, they confirmed them. They built them up. They strengthened them. That's why they're there. After they had tarried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles notwithstanding it, please Silas to abide there still. I'll just mention in most of the manuscripts, verse 34 is not there. Um, Some scribe probably saw it as necessary to make sure that since Silas is going to show up in just a few more verses, that it's important for him to say that he's still there. Okay, well, it's not there. But it doesn't change anything. Silas is, in fact, he stayed, he's behind, and he's going to go with Paul on a journey. Paul also and Barnabas continued. That's another thing that kept on going for these folks. They were, they were rejoicing. They were being consoled because of the encouragement. They were being built up and confirmed. But they also continued. They were teaching in Manioc and preaching the word of the Lord, with, and many others as well. So, things are good. Satan tried to tear the whole thing down. He wanted to add, he's doing it today. This, it's the same old tactics. Uh, and anything other than this is, is a false gospel. It's no gospel at all. So, watch out for it today. It's, 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 it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. But at any rate, this is the message that's been taught. Satan wanted to tear it down. Guess what? The confirmation has come. It's actually strengthened the church at this point. Would it not? Sometimes, have you seen problems come at you? Oh, I don't need another problem. But when, you've, when the problem has been solved at the end of it, you say, you know what? There was some good in that because I now really see where we're headed. We have a clearer definition of what really we should have been doing. Right? Isn't that true? Absolutely, it's true. Oftentimes, Satan throws a problem and throw a wrench in and and totally divide and conquer. And guess what? At the other end, God says, watch me use this. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, I can't believe that Satan for a moment said, I think I won. Or Wait. (laughs) But when he had him in the grave, I'm convinced that's where he wanted to take every absolute power of hell to be able to hold him. Hell being just the sense of evil. There's, no one's inhabiting hell today, the true hell. Did you know that? There's not one person in hell yet. It's, they're in Hades. But in chapter 19 of Revelation, the first inhabitants of hell, the everlasting fire, the last place of eternal damnation will be inhabited by the false prophet and Antichrist out of the tribulation period. A little will be taken and thrown into that final place. Chapter 19 also says all of those inhabiting Hades then will be placed into, after, after reading, who's in the book of life. You do not want to be at the great white throne judgment, friends. Do not RSVP that place. And the only way that you cannot RSVP that place is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how your name is in the written, the book of life. They're all going to stand before God the Father, and He's going to say, Your name is not in the book of life. But I... Your name is not in the book of life. But I did... But your name is not in the book of life. There would be nothing to argue. The only way that you can do that is Jesus Christ's blood that was paid on Calvary's tree is what justice and complete innocence will be seen as through him and him alone, and the only way you can access is right there—His grace through faith. That's not even yours. That's how you get there. Little diversion, but the point of the matter is: is everything that Satan had power of, he wanted to keep Jesus in the ground because if he never rose from the dead, he could never rise, and if he never rose, he never broke sin's power, which was death. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter. On day three, that tomb was empty. And it was empty not for Jesus to get out, right? He's gone. It was for the rest of the world to see He wasn't there. If there's ever a grave that I'm so happy is empty, it's that one. That's one of the reasons I stand before you today. Muhammad's grave is still full, or whatever you want to say. He's there. Buddha, His grave is there. All of those self-proclaimed saviors They never broke deaths. And if I can't find someone to break the chain of death, that's the curse of sin, then I have to keep moving on. There's only one that's ever done that, Jesus Christ. But if somebody can do that, that's a good place to be. I want my arms around that person because they got it done. And he did it because he paid the price that had been asked of God And when God raised him from the dead, he basically said, that is enough. As Jesus said on the cross, his last three words, it is finished. (laughs) I smile, and yet it would have been tragic for his mother standing there. She would have saw the physicality of it. His life is over. My son is dead. My firstborn son that was visited by the angel and said that I'm going to bear the son of God, Emmanuel. Don't forget the rest of the story. At <laughs> The Feast of Pentecost, 120 believers, of which one was his mother's name. The last time she's named in the Bible is in Acts chapter 1. She was there praying in the room, believing the same promises that Jesus had given to those other disciples. And that was, when I leave, the comforter will come. I'm going to build my church. She saw that happen. Ah, is there not victory in this? Wild. Those people in Antioch would have been completely... Overjoyed. That's what grace does. It brings us comfort and hope. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. Now we're just dipping into a verse here that does give a great deal of consolation in itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us. And hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Isn't that good? That's exactly what grace does. It brings us comfort, it brings us peace, it brings us hope. Now, what does legalism bring? What does legalism bring? Well, first of all, write down what we just learned here from. 2 Thessalonians, we really received comfort. Uh-oh, this one's not going to go very long, is it? And I think we're done. What else did we find there? We found hope, right? Now, in, a, in the way our English language works, when I say, I hope that I'll be able to go to the store tomorrow, it's in the sense of a verb, Okay. Hope in the scriptures is in a form of a noun. It's a fact. It's an object of direction. It's not, a, it's not I, I hope in the sense of maybe it won't happen. No, your hope in Jesus Christ is fixed because of what he did, not because of what we did. Our hope and trust is in Jesus Christ because he got it done. There's no can't get it done. It is done. Now, legalism on the other side, this is grace. What does legalism bring? Uh, now, I did win a spelling bee, but I never, ever, ever, ever <laughs> conquered penmanship or whatever is another good name for that. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I failed. My teachers numerous times said, Larry, Larry, slow down. Write the letters neatly. I did not get that. And the faster my mind goes, the less good it is on the board, right? Okay. Legalism, what happens? What do you get? What does it promote? Excuse me? What? Condemnation—it really does. Ultimately, that's the that that's the equal. You get it's condemnation. The only way you, that you get away from condemnation is if you're in Christ. Someone else said something. Works? Yeah, it is. That's what legalism—it absolutely works. What are the results of that? Somebody said, I think I heard the S word—the self. The, good job. You know what self, What's behind self? What? Pride. Absolutely. Legalism pumps of pride. It's all about self. Legalism is all about self. What else? What if you're not good enough? Because now, trust me, you're going to be, this is going to be a comparison system, right? Paul's going to have to compare himself to me or you or anyone else, but that's usually not how we do that. If we're comparing ourselves, we're going to go with someone that we perceive as being less worthy, right? But what if you thought for a second I don't know about that guy up above there. What would that promote? Fear. Fear, we're not good enough. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? Fear and pride usually are present at the same time. That's usually why pride is evident. It's a lack of confidence, isn't it? Think of someone that you see as the, the most prideful, arrogant person you've ever run into. Take a study of their life. They're insecure, they're very insecure. They're fearful, honestly. That's what pride does. What else? What else does legalism promote? Pride, fear, promotes guilt as well. It's amazing how Satan will use that against someone that has sinned, but with no remedy. See, in legalism, there's no remedy for guilt. There isn't. How are you going to fix it? Be better at something you're not good enough at? I've never said that out loud. That's pretty good. How did I say that? I want to... Be being, yeah, I got I to be better at something I'm not good at, which is legalism, promoting self. That's what talk about comfortless and also ultimately condemnation. Right, brings it right there. Grace is comfort and hope. You find it all through the scriptures. Uh, peace. That's another. That's a, we should put another one up there. Remember how Paul also says in every one of his epistles. Grace and peace. He never says peace and grace. He always starts with the package of grace is the only way to receive peace. Well, they have comforted these people. But knowing Paul, what do we what do we say about him? He's a passionate guy. They're there in Antioch of Syria for quite some time. We don't know how long, but a period of time that's described that way. And you know what's going to be going? His feet are burning. He's got to get moving. He's gotta get going. There's work to be done. The gospel needs to be spread around the world. And it's even now it's even more confirmed than it's ever been. The Council of Jerusalem met. Whoops, now my now my gospel's gone, but salvation, grace through faith alone. The rest of the world, we, we gotta get that. We gotta get that done. How's he gonna do it? Let's take a look at our next verse. Some days after Paul, verse 36, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God, of the Lord, and see how they do. Now, just take that in for a moment. Uh, would you call Paul an evangelist? Yeah, I mean, it's not a trick question. He, unbelievable. There's been no one else that's ever done it better. Okay. Now, I want you to think now, 20th century or 21st century. Tell me what an evangelist perceived. A perceived evangelist would be in the 20th or 21st century. Well, what would an evangelist do? I say, there's an evangelist, you fill in the blanks. He's a traveler, right? He's going to travel around. Typically, he would have a crusade that would meet in an area, uh, larger cities more than likely, because it, it, it would be kind of where the population is, right? And Nothing wrong with any of that. I'm not suggesting it. But they come into a crusade for maybe a week, four days, five days, right? And then what happens? They leave, Right almost literally never to return. So the idea is you get them saved and you leave them behind for someone else, right? Am, I, am I, I'm right. That's how evangelism would look today in the 20th or 21st century. Uh, did you see this now? His feet are itchy. He's wanting to get going, but he's going to go back where he started to see how they were doing because he knows that a mature Christian is able to reproduce better than a baby Christian. Maturity, you would want to have reproducing Christians, if you will, that comes through maturity. In other words, the better that I train and mature the believer, the more likely we're gonna have more Pauls and Barnabases around the world, correct? Discipleship, that's the priority behind everything. Building a church is discipling teaching the Word of God. Now, nothing in the world wrong with preaching the Gospel. No, a thousand I, in every message, I somehow want to present to whoever is there the Gospel of Jesus Christ because there could be one person in that room, there could be ten, there could be who knows, but I want that person to have one more chance to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. I, pres- I give the message. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I want that out there. But that's not my mission up here. My mission, literally as a teacher of the Gospel, is to promote growth in the body so that maturity happens, so that you guys go out and become witnesses and evangelists for the Gospel, right? That's exactly what Paul is doing and promoting. His passion is based on priority. That's to present more disciples. What did Jesus say? Go out into the world and make disciples. That's the deal. Discipleship. His priority is very clear. So he says to Barnabas, his buddy, his pal, his fellow traveler, he says, Let's go see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas, what do we know about him? If I say the word Barnabas, you say, encourager, right? He's an encourager. He's that guy that could, he could encourage anything. I'm, I'm convinced he could somehow encourage the snail to beat a rabbit at a race. He's just that kind of guy. He could bring the best out on everybody. Oh, hey, hey, Sam, I know you're slow, but I'm telling you, that rabbit will take a nap. You can get it. You Just keep on, buddy. Just persist. That's what he would say, wouldn't he? That's what he'd say. So, Barnabas is convinced that he needs to have John Mark on the trip. Now, If you know Paul, he would be like the military leader, right? I I think he even had medals. I do. I just, you know, not not to promote himself. He would promote Jesus Christ. But he was very professional. He was very tactful. He was very punctual. He was very straight-lined. There was no room for error, okay? Now, what do we know about John Mark from a previous encounter? Um, As these guys would have went, and these guys being Paul and Barnabas... They would have went from, uh, they would have went from the church in Jerusalem, I'm sorry, then they went up to, uh, where's where's my journey? Oh, they don't tell me that, do they? I, right here, we can take the pink. We'll take the purple one. So they went from Antioch and they went to Cyprus. Why'd they go there? Because that's where Barnabas is from. It's a great place to start. Go to family hometown. Let's, let's, let's preach the gospel there. Governor gets saved. The governor of Cyprus gets saved. Whoa, so we're going to go north. That was a high. That was a spiritual high. Let's keep moving. That was Paul, I'm sure. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's keep going. Preach the gospel. They get to Perga, and it looks daunting. They don't even stop there because Paul's wanting to go. And I've told you those Taurus mountains lay between the Pisidia and Perga and John Mark said, I think I'm gone. And he takes off. Now, Paul is not that guy that says, oh, let's give you another try. No, you deserted. You're done. In fact, the word is actually used is a form of apostate, not apostate spiritually, service apostate. You bailed out on us. And you've seen people like that. You know people like that. They said they were going to do the job, hands on the plow, they turn around and look, and pretty soon they're gone. That's what happened to John Mark. He's gone, took off. And Barnabas says, well, let's do it. I think we should. I think we should go right back where we went. We should get going on it. But we're going to take John Mark. No, we're not. (laughs) I didn't say that strong enough yet. And Barnabas said, yes, we are. And Paul said, no, we're not. In fact, it's hell. Are you get this? Now, I'm, I'm not going to go to this level, so just, just, I'm not going there. But it said the contention was so sharp that they went asunder from one another. When you use that asunder, it's like gone. <laughs> wow, that was pretty disruptive. Now, again, do you think Satan's maybe involved in this a little bit? Of course he is. Contention, chaos. Because when we're in contentiousness and we have chaos around us, guess what doesn't happen? God's work doesn't get done. Show me a church that's in the midst of a split because we've got a leader and a follower talking about curtains on the wall and they're not the right color or they're not in the right place or who knows, the piano's on the wrong side, but it should be over. You know what's not happening? The gospel's not being preached. Satan's been in every one of these disruptive, chaotic, contentious fights within a church, every single one of them. Every single, right? Every one of them. So, what, here we go. Now, wait a minute. Didn't Paul have a great idea? Let's go back. Let's see what they're doing. Let's get them going in Christ. Let's spread the gospel. Doesn't that sound like great news? Satan says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to throw a little wrench into this one. What's God going to do with this one? Now, what normally happens is the church splits, and now we have two nothings. Nobody gets anything done. Right? That's what happens. In this case, they're both, and they're, I'm not kidding. These guys were toe-to-toe. They weren't going to give up. Paul is not taking John Mark. Barnabas, yes, we are. (laughs) Now, there's a a little bit of family going on in here. I've told you, just may not have told you this, but if you were to go to Colossians chapter four, verse ten, you would find that actually Barnabas and John Mark were related. They were cousins. So I'm sure, Barnabas being, what do we know about him? He's an encourager. The more that Barnabas can get. John Mark in the work, the more likely he is to be able to come more mature, to be stronger, to be better, all of those things. That, and that is not, that, that's not that, that is correct. I want a young man or a young lady in the ministry just being there, just taking it in. They will grow, they will mature. Paul, he bailed once, he'll bail again. Now, this is literally, I think, where Barnabas, now again, God worked it out beautifully. Because Satan wanted no teams, God has two teams. You take one, you split it, you become two teams. Oh, I think Satan, re- what was I thinking? And now all of a sudden we have two teams threading the gospel. But it was contentious. Who was right? That's a big question. It's not really revealed for us. But it does say there was only one group of which was Commended or given a blessing to go out, and that was, that was Paul and Silas. Is anything wrong with Barnabas and John Mark? God used it in a manner. Guess where they went again? They went back to Cyprus. So this is, this, this is how God works this out. I, I, I totally believe I'm, there's a word I'm thinking of. It's in Esther. God's name is never mentioned one time in Esther, and yet God is everywhere. What's the word I'm looking for? Not sovereignty. The, uh, okay, we'll not work on it. Oh, the the providence of God. There it is, the providence. God is looking over and seeing and working things out. Oh, He says, oh, look look at that little trick. Not that he's surprised, but uh, Satan doesn't want anybody to go on a missionary journey. Watch this. Now, there's another thing that happens. Let's think of this for a moment. This is where the map comes in. If they were going to do, if Paul and Barnabas would have left as one team, which way would have they went? Well, I'm I'm convinced that they would have went from... Antioch, and they would have went to Cyprus, and they would have just basically reviewed the route they took, correct? That would make sense. I mean, doesn't th- that what he said? Let's go back to where we came from, and let's see how they're doing. Sounds right, okay? So, but now Barnabas and John Mark, they took off as a team A. Where did they go? They went to Cyprus. So why would Paul and Silas go to Cyprus? Of course not, it makes no sense. So God takes them, and they actually now have to follow the green line. So the green line goes from Antioch, Issus, Tarsus, Derby, Lister, Iconium. Now, those are words you saw in our reading today. He's literally going backwards from where they ended up. He Remember what they ended up over right in this area before, right, on the first time. But guess who they met in Derby? The first spot, the slot they stopped going backwards, which they wouldn't have went that way if there wasn't two teams. They met a young man by the name of Timotheus. Talk about and getting the right people on the right trip. That means because they went backwards, because of just the way God providentially provided, they had just exactly the right young man to assist in the rest of the journey, as opposed to if they would have started here and went that way, they would have ended up right here. But guess what? They started in Derby and ended up, look where they ended up. They ended up, the place that it's the only one reason that you people are saved here today for the most part is because he went to Europe. And you know, Paul had no intentions of going to Europe. Macedonia is the word that's used in your scriptures. What if if he hadn't went to Macedonia? I'll say there'd be a whole lot less people that have been impacted by the gospel of Christ. Just look at how God worked that out. Satan's gonna divide and splinter. God turns into two teams. They code two different directions, and literally they have the right young man early enough in the journey to be able to assist in the whole gathering that goes, and goes all the way over into Europe. That is crazy. You start to take names and look at the map, and you start to see where, where he went and under those conditions? That's crazy. Now, what do we know about Timotheus? Well, how would you like to been Paul in this one? He sees this young man, and he had met... Eunice and Lois, his grandmother and mother. I think I said that wrong. Lois is the grandmother. Eunice is the mother of of Timothy, okay? And we we can find that in in the epistle to Timothy. And Paul's, oh, look, you're exactly what I'm looking for, a young man that is zealous for the gospel. And your mom and your grandmom, in fact, how do you think they got saved last time that Paul was in town? But how would you, as being You want to be the mother or the grandmother? I'm going to say the mother, Eunice. So just slip into Eunice's shoes for a second, and here's Paul. Now, the last time you saw Paul, he was bloodied, beaten, and drug out to the garbage dump out of town, declared to be dead because he preached the gospel. And now he wants your son to go with him? Let me think about that. but they were just as zealous for the gospel. You can see they're prompting him. You can just see, because he was never, you know what, I I need to talk to my mom. No, the passion was in his eyes. He's ready to go. Now, the one thing that's bothering him, we're going to talk about it. Why in heaven's name would Paul take this young man, Timotheus, and he describes his heritage. He's, He's half Jew, half Greek. His mother, Eunice, is a Jewess. His father was I believe he 's dead at this point, just from the way the the, the the language is used. His father was a Greek, probably deceased at this point, which again brings up another question Tim 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 Tim, Tim. Uh, your grandmother are alone what, 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 Paul, have some consideration for us right can you, can you see how the, do you see how the world would fit in society would just want to tear that apart? God is overpowered. God provides. God will provide. I love that. Still, one of my favorite stories that I love to teach and preach is Abram and his son Isaac. And God says to Abram, um, get up in the morning and, no, he says, just take your son to this mountain and and worship. Worship by sacrificing your son to me. Genesis chapter 22. Ah, Could I misunderstand you? Isn't this the sun that you gave me, that we're going to have all, you know, like the stars and the sand of the sea, you're going to be like all my descendants, and you want me to what? None of that took place. Next morning, early, it says, saddles up, got his servants with him, base in the mountain, he says, you guys stay here, we'll be back. We'll be back. <laughs> and he goes up the mountain, the sun's got the wood, and he's, not the first time they've done this, you can tell, but he says, dad, he says, I got the wood, you got the fire, where's the sacrifice? This is the wisdom of a father that's following after God. God will provide. God will provide. I remember saying that to my father around a breakfast table in Miles City, Montana. We were in a situation, in place that was outside of our control. Someone had said they were going to lease a ranch with us, and they bailed. We did not have the money or the funds to be able to take this on. We had given our word to, this particular, to, the, to the lady that owned this ranch, and we, we, we had prayed about it. We had done the things that you do as a Christian, right? Okay. And all of a sudden, it's like this, now what do we do? And you guys have had those moments. Now what do we do, right? And if you say you didn't, you're going to get one, because that's how it works, because that's how we grow, right? And my dad said that. He said, what are we going to do? I mean, I gave my word. I said, we prayed about it, too. Don't forget that. God's going to provide. I I didn't even use that. I didn't use Abram, but that's right. He's going to provide. And to this day, friends, I cannot really tell you how it worked out, but it worked out. God provided. If you're in a situation that looks like it's just, it's not bleak, it's hopeless. Praise God because he's got a bigger answer than you could even possibly find or know about. That's what it says in Ephesians. More than you can think, more than you can ask, more than you can even believe, God will take care of it may not be any way that you see as being possible avenue. I'm not here to even write that story. In fact, this seems like a great place to launch off. Well, as we know... Oops, I broke my thing. How did I do that? So, Paul and Barnabas, they take off separately. Oh, I know. I'm going to talk about something. What is the gospel? Let's make sure. I, I, I apologize, but before this is on here, on the board, it said what? It said grace plus faith equals salvation. Okay? And that was clear. The Judaizers had come into town and they said, you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law. So, Paul goes into Derby, meets this young man, Timotheus, who had a good reputation. And the first thing he does, it seems, is he circumcises him. What is Paul doing here? This seems weird, doesn't it? Now, he describes his heritage. He's half Jew, he's half Greek. So, is there any reason not to be circumcised? From our perspective, the reason is, is, well, it's not how to get saved. He's not suggesting it is. But knowing Paul, what do we know about Paul in his previous journeys? He's probably going to check into the synagogue on a Saturday and see how the Jews are doing so that he can direct the gospel to them first. That's what he does, right? You've seen it everywhere. That's how he does it. So, now he's got a young man. This is Timothy, His mother's a Jew, and his father was a Greek. There's a sense of effectiveness as well. For him as a Jew, it's not stating anything that he's not. That's that's what I want to go with this. If he as a Jew is circumcised, there's nothing that that's stating that he is not. Now, I'm going to give you an example where Paul absolutely resisted circumcision of another man by the name of Titus. Titus is, let's, in fact, let's go there to find it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. Find the, the little book of Galatians, and let's look at chapter 2 and verse 3. Uh, he took a strong position here. In chapter 2 and verse 3 of Galatians, I'll get there in a second. Uh, for, verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, why, why was the book of the Galatians written? It was written to the region of Galatia, right? Why? Because of the Judaizers, the ones that were adding to, they wanted to legalize salvation. Fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also... Chapter two, verse one. And I went up by Revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or have run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, it's even the languages is that Paul was resistant to having that happen. Why? because it is unnatural for a Gentile to be circumcised. If he would have made Titus to be circumcised, then it would have been an addition to salvation. But for a Jew who Timothy was, for him to be circumcised, guess what that makes it? It makes the salvation message more expedient or more effective amongst the Jews, because there's no resistance to any of that. Now, for Titus to be circumcised as a Gentile, now what you look like is you're adding to salvation. You see the difference? It's called effective ministry. Timothy's not doing anything he's not. But it helps the sense of the message to the Jews. In fact, look how Paul says it. Let's go to, um, let's see, i got to think about this for a second. Where is that at? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is literally, if you will, is the platform of how Paul operated. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start in verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19. For though I be free from all men, I'm free, I'm liberty, yet have I made myself servant unto all, he's living by love, that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law to the weak became I as the weak that I might gain the weak i made all things to all men to watch that i might by all means save some that's ministry that is intended to be effective the circumcision of timothy is nothing more than a message in the sense of making an effective ministry that's all there's no salvation in it doesn't add doesn't subtract but if a, if that if the in other words if If I'm presenting something, this is Paul, if I'm doing something that actually has the Jew to resist or for it to be a stumbling block, then I'm not living by love. That should be the same way in our lives today. If you're doing something that you're a stumbling block to someone else from coming to Christ, you need to stop that. And you say, well, I have. No, you don't. The law of Christ lives within you. You live by love. You're saved by grace. See the difference? That's how we are. I mean we should be loving those to come to Christ. There's, not no more, there's no greater decision that one will have on this earth as long as there's one breath left in you, and that is to succumb or to give yourselves to Jesus Christ, to receive grace by faith. That is the most important decision anyone can ever do, ever, because it fits eternity. Where do you go? And that's what Paul's saying. I don't want anybody to look at me as having myself or anyone with me to have been a stumbling block in them coming to Jesus Christ. Not food, not drink, not traditions, not anything, not anything. And what he did for Timothy, having him circumcised, does not make Timothy anything other than he already was. He was a Jew. Titus was not a Jew. He wouldn't let Titus be circumcised because it's the wrong message. That's another thing we as Christians, and as a church, need to pray for, and that is, uh, now the word left me, uh, discernment, knowing when to do the right thing, knowing the right, even the right time to do the right thing. Okay, I want to get into this because this is, how many of you today are really looking for God's will? And you don't have to raise your hands because inside every one of your hands raised. Because that's who we should be, by the way, too. What is God's will for me? Okay. Well, here's, here's, uh, here's Paul, now guess what? Did he get a map in the mail from God? Okay, this is going to be your second missionary journey. You've got passion, you've got priority, you're going to make disciples, you're going to go, because you know I can count on you, because you're that guy I saved on Damascus Road, and I blinded you, showed you the light, and you got up, and you have been on fire ever since. I want you. And here's your map. No map. But He raised within Him, this is, part of, this is the other part of what we as a nation, as a world in the church, and I'm talking from a spiritual position, is sometimes we're too interested. And I've got to be really careful how I say this, but I'm using Paul as my background right now. It's not just getting people saved. And I'm saying that I'm doing it the right way. The Holy Spirit is doing the saving. We're presenting the gospel. That's the right way. You never save anyone. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Without the Holy Spirit, if you saved someone, they didn't get saved. That's all I can tell you. They may, you may have warmed out. You may have debated them. You may have argued them. You may have argued them nowhere, but the same place is where they started. How do they say that about a horse? You can lead a water to a horse, but you can't make them drink. Right? Okay. I'm saying it the right way. The Holy Spirit does the saving. You've done the presenting. Now, where was my story going? Ah, lost it. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? Discernment. Oh well, okay. God didn't want me to talk about that. That's where we're going. What the world was it? What's that? Yeah, that was a bunny trail I got lost on. Okay. What's it about discerning discernment? Oh, the map. There we go. That's what. That was the key word. Map. Okay, map. So God does not send a certified letter with a map included. Paul, I want you to go here here, 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 and here, and you end up here. And then you come back here. You know what? Your life journey doesn't look like that either, does it? If you got a map in the mail and it was signed by God, let's talk. (laughs) Let's talk. It's probably not who you think it is. (laughs) Okay? But that's how life is, isn't it? There's a lot of things you do by faith. Now, how many would you say, "I'm, I'm seeking God's will? I think you all, if, you're in, if, you're, if you trusted Christ, that becomes part of it, because the Holy Spirit living within you, and the Holy Spirit wants you to follow God's will. Okay? That's, that's normal. How do we do it, though? That's the question. How do we do it? Paul didn't have a map. It was placed in him. That was where I was going, is the fact that we've lost our way in just saving, and then it's just like, well, it's up to God. No, no, the saving is up to God. The preaching and the discipling and the teaching and maturing is we're part of that. We're doing that through our lives. We're doing that through the Word of God. We're doing that through whatever means it is to grow them up. Because mature Christians become reproducing Christians, they, sh- they spread the gospel. Okay? We're, we're, missing that as a, we're, we're, we're missing that. But God places within Paul the desire to go back where they came to see how they're doing. I always think of the church of Ephesus. Timothy became the pastor of that church. And if you read, which is for another day, but in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it talks about the churches. Those were all physical churches. Many of them are named of what Paul started. And within a hundred years, some less, some more, many of those churches drifted away and became useless. The one that's stated last is the church of Laodicea. It was so nothingness that there was no message that had anything. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. And this has been used illegitimately, not to say there's anything wrong with it, but Revelation chapter 3, it says that I, Jesus, is giving a message. He's on the outside, I'm knocking. And we take that as knocking on the outside of a man's heart or soul to come in. It has nothing to do with the context of that is Jesus Christ is outside the church of Laodicea. He's not even in the church that's what's happened to our churches in America today. We've lost track of maturing believers and discipleship within the church. Map. He doesn't have a map. How does he know where to go? Well, when God made the first team of Barnabas and John Mark, they went to Cyprus, so that's obvious. We don't need to go there. So let's go backwards, let's go the right way, let's go the other way. They meet Timotheus in Derby, now they've got another personnel, they've got someone else on board that's perfect for the fit, God is working. And then it says that they went, well you can follow the map, I've lost my pointer, here it is, boy I'm, I've got all kinds of stuff. Here we go, so he's, he that's in, in Derby, Green Line, they're back into Antioch Opa City, now they've got a choice to make, right here is a choice. Because that's kind of a focal point, and you can see it, because they came from this way, from Cyprus to Perga, to to the city of Antioch, and then they went this way on the first journey. Now they went backwards. Where are we going to go from here? He wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go straight west. Let's see what the Scripture says. Glasses. I need somebody to assist me up here. Uh, Acts chapter 16 and let's look at verse six. Uh, I don't. I want to. I want let, to. Let's read again with what we said. Let's start chapter sixteen, verse one. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren, that is, that Timothy was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. It seems as such he was actually working in the region. Him would Paul have to go forth with him. And he took and circumcised them because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Jew. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep. What decrees? Saved by grace, live by love. Those are basically the two things that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now think again, as they would have went, just say they came into Iconium. Okay, now that's a church that had maybe heard of Judaizers. They've come back in and they say, here's the truth. You're saved by grace alone, but live by love. Ah, the churches are growing. They're they're really literally growing, not only spiritually, but also numerically. Watch verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Pergia and the region of Galatia, that's where they're at, And and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. In fact, somehow the Holy Ghost stopped them from going directly to the West. Now, there's another time of which Ephesus, Thyatira, Smyrna, they were touched by Paul, but not this time. In other words, they stopped. Now, this is what happens to us when the Holy Spirit, now it's no question what they perceived. They knew the Holy Spirit told them not to go into Asia. That's clear. Now what do we do? Let's put yourself, slip into Paul and Silas' shoes. Well, I guess. Let's just go home. Done all we can do here. Let's just go home. The resistance that you see or feel, and that word i got to be careful with, is it's not a resistance of out of, that you're out of the will of God. No, no. No, no. You are seeking the will of God. Why do we sometimes take resistance as being not following the will of God? That's just a door that's closed. Our job is Keep checking doors. Now, let's watch what happens. They don't go home. In fact, they think about it differently. Okay. So, where have they come from? Obviously, do you see what was not even, was not even a possibility for them? Was to go east. That's back home. How come we sometimes don't do... How do we, why do we want to retreat? It's easy to retreat, isn't it? Resistance? Retreat. No! Stop! That's one... We've been there. Been there. Right? So, they're not going to go east. They can't go west. And think about it. If I go south, I've been that way, right? So, let's read what happens. After they were come to Mysia. Where's Mysia? Okay, that would be the upper side of this. So, now it looks like, well, you watch your map. Watch the, watch the line. He says, well, let's go north. Can't go west. Let's go north. Because south is where we would get to Cyprus. Barnabas, and, they're, they're there. East is where we came from, let's go north. In fact, it says next, they wanted to go into Bithynia. Okay, watch. They were come to Mysia, they essayed or desired to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Doesn't say how, doesn't, doesn't talk about, but it, was, it was just wasn't working. There's one of those laws, uh, it shouldn't be a law, but it's something that I go by in my everyday life. There are two things of which I think about. Sometimes I'm better at it than others. One, which you know very well, is I always want to do the right thing, or it's always the right time to do the right thing. No matter what you're doing, the right thing is the right thing. It may not be convenient, may not feel like it, that's the right time to do it, those right now. Okay? The other one is receive or take what it gives. Now let me put that just in an everyday deal. Let's say today I've decided that I'm going to go, I'm going to go bale hay, because we got a lot of hay bale. It's, it's down, we got to go get it, it's what it is. So it sprinkles a little bit. And you know what that happens if that's fixed in your mind? Ra 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 Now I might do a little ra ra ra, but you know what I'm going to look for now? I'm going to look at something else that I can do. I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to think, well, let's see, now got, we're not going to hay today. Uh, just to receive that, accept that. That's okay, right? That's a first order tomorrow, maybe. Let's see. Oh, you know what? We could go haul manure. Or maybe we could get that set of calves we could wean over there. That's taking what it gives. There's a sense of that. You you know, I can run into that wall until finally the wall wins. There's guys that believe, in fact, I'll need this guy's namely exactly in is the Valley. He says, My dad taught me that you just keep going through that wall. You just eventually you'll get through the wall. No, you won't. <laughs> Especially if that's how you're gonna define spiritual salvation. You can't win that one. That's all that's hard-headedness, but you'll eventually lose. So I'm looking for where does God want me to go? That's isn't that exactly right? I thought I was gonna go here. That's not going to work out. It could be just that simple. You couldn't get there. There was something resisting. But he didn't, these are two things. He didn't go back and he didn't stop. Those are the two things Satan wants us to do. Just go back, just give it up. Or, well, I'm just going to wait till I know what God wants me to do. I'm just going to sit right here and I'm just going to, no. Keep moving. Keep going. Keep knocking on doors. Now, if you were going to study this, it probably is a little bit depressing, because they came from the east. They've come, they, they came to the city of Antioch. They were not supposed to go there to, the, to Asia, not, not supposed to go there. So he goes north, goes to Mysia, he's going to go to Bithynia. He's no resistance. What do we do? Can't go south because you run into the ocean, and guess who's there? Cyprus, the Barnabas, you know they're there. God, what are you telling us? What are we supposed to do? So, he just keeps going. He just keeps going. Runs into a place called Troas. Now, Troas, now this is, have you ever been someplace where you say, okay, God, there's nowhere more to go. Now, I don't know what to do now because I can't go any further. <laughs> That's when God gives you the revelation. Have you ever been so far, so close that there's nowhere to go and you say, where, God? And then all of a sudden that door opens. I didn't say it was easy. Did you, did you get easy from what I said? No, it's not easy. But the right door will open at the right time when God's in charge. When you put God in charge, you may think he's late. You may think he's not even listening. But at the right time, the door will open. might not even be the door you thought about. In fact, if you were going to do, do a survey of Paul and Silas when they left out of, uh, da, 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 out of Antioch, and you would have told them that they were going to go over here to Macedonia and take a check at the Thessalonians, which they'd never heard of? What? They had no clue. Go back 20 years in your life. Now fast forward. Can you believe where you're at? No. I mean, I was a North Dakota boy. Now I envisioned leaving. But to think that I would be in Sheridan, Montana, if you would have asked me that, and that's more like, that's a long time. 45 years. But the point of the matter is this. When I'm following God, it doesn't matter where I end up as long as I seek to follow Him. And never stop and never retreat. That's what he didn't do. Paul never stopped. He just keeps going. So, let's read it. They were come to Mysia. They essayed or desired to go into Bithynia. The Spirit stopped them. And they passing by Mysia. Did you see it? They just kept, going, just kept moving. Didn't stop. Didn't, didn't pout. Didn't shout. Didn't shout came down to Troas. That's kind of the next, if you notice, there's not a lot of going on here in Missyot. If you keep going, you finally run into the first place, it's Troas. It's a seaport. This is kind of a, okay, God, looks like we're going to figure out what we're doing. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. After he, Paul, had seen the vision immediately, now, I'll come back to this, but I've got that, that's, that uh, little uh, word, we, circled. I'll tell you why in a moment. We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. That door at Troas opened. Now, it would have mattered if he would have opened here? He didn't even know about it. Sometimes in your life, just where you're at, you need to be where you need to be before the door can open that you're ready to go through it. I can't begin to tell you how many times there's doors that were open later in my life that I wouldn't have even recognized as being there earlier in my life. It's got to be the right time. So guess what? Now, just look at this. Here's the green line. They go from Troas. Look at this. Whoa. Look at all of those people. Athens, all of those people that were reached before they returned back into Judea. No map. Was he following God's will? Every step of the way. Now, this is what I want you to get. When he said no to Asia, was he out of God's will? No. What would have been is if he would have pounded his head in the sand and just said, you know what? Silas, tomorrow morning we are going to go to Philadelphia. That would be going against God's will. Particularly if you know it. Now, how do you know God's will? The more that you put your nose in the book... The more you start to look like, we're going to do. Did we go to Second, uh, second Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen? We need to go there. We're not just, just hold that one. Paul, remind that one. You don't, not right now. Just hold it. But it's going to fit. The more that you think about, all right. I'm sorry. The more that you have your nose in the book, the more you see what God's will isn't. Okay, that's as important as knowing what it is. I hear, I, I hear of these people that are. I mean, they're they're doing terrible, diabolical things. God told me. No, no. You had something in your head that said it was God. It was you, probably, self, that told you that. This is where you find God's will is in His book. Read the book. And it's not for me. There's as many things I want to know that it's not God's will as what His will is. Most of the time, God's will is unfolded in ways that we don't know particularly. But we do know things that aren't His will. And if you're being asked to go where it's not God's will... It's not God's will. That's a point of confusion in many cases. I hear it in marriages. I hear it in in many places that that's where God led me. God will not lead you what His book says is not right. That's a fact. But in the meantime, when you don't know what God's will is, just keep moving. Just keep doing what you know is right. Just keep going. That's exactly what Paul and Silas did. They never stopped. How did he, we talk about our, our churches are leaving the Bible, but he would leave those t- t- synagogues or churches. They didn't have the New Testament. And he'd leave, and what would he, I'm surprised they didn't get more off. Than, than it, it, it is, you know, think, think, do, you, do you ever wake up every morning and just thank God that you have a Bible in your possession, mm-hmm. that this is God's love letter to us? So we how, have, how, we did have, them? how did they leave those churches? Leave them, you know? One of the things that Jesus Christ spent some time on, I'm going to step way back, okay? Step way back. So let's think. Now Jesus Christ has just been crucified, and he's been buried. And we've got those disciples that were leaving town. They saw Jesus dead, and he's buried. It's over. The party, it's, it's over. We're done. I was, we wasted three years of our life. They were on the road to a mass. Remember that? The disciples on the road to a mass. All of a sudden, here's this visitor, the guy that's walking down the road, coming around another way, joins up. He said, what are you, hey, what are you guys doing? And, we're just, we're, and you could, you know, they're dragging their feet, and it's just, it's down. Whatever you've been depressed, take a moment like that, where you've got the king, Jesus Christ, the king. And they didn't miss that. He's the king, but he came to save souls, individuals first. But they missed it. They missed the timing, and he's gone. Our king is gone. He's dead. They crucified him. I mean, spring of a step is gone. There's no step left. He said, "What? What, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> what you haven't heard? You didn't even hear about Jesus? Just." And you know what it says at the end? He expounded the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament. It spoke of his coming. Everything in the Old Testament spoke about. It. And do you remember the disciples when he met with them after his resurrection? He got them in the Old Testament. Now I'm convinced, Paul as the letters kept started coming, because the Judaizers, this was the part that they couldn't be protected against, speaking of these churches, was when the Judaizers would come in and use the Old Testament to talk about the law and circumcision and Moses. See, it was not, there was nothing in there about just grace. That letter, they start the epistle to the Galatians, one of the first letters written. The Thessalonians, one of the first letters written. They started to have those letters that were circulating then through the area. Then they would be protected against the new wave of, what I would say, falsehoods. But initially, the Old Testament could be utilized to show the Messiah coming, the Messiah's death. And then you can go to Daniel and see the end times of of the Jews actually coming back in the tribulation period. There's enough in the Old Testament to keep you on board that's what they would have had. They would have used everything they would have had. That's why when you go to the synagogue, Paul had a platform. He had Old Testament to work with. They received, that's why if you can get if you can give somebody, but not, this is where I'm dead in the water today. If I say to someone, well, and they can be so off, but they can say they're an atheist, and they're whatever they want. I said, the Word of God says, well, the Word of God, I don't care about the Scripture, and I can't help you. Because then it's whatever anybody says about anything. You have the right to do that, but what you need to do then in my absence, I need to stop right now, you need to take the Word of God, and you need to by yourself, you do as much study as you want to do, don't use anybody else's arguments, don't use, those are not yours. You personally need to make this untrue, and if you cannot make it untrue, then it's truth, and then it has things to say to you. Then let's talk. The Scripture is live. It's living. And whatever you have of it is enough to keep you there. But that was the reason for the New Testament, as we know it, the letters that Paul wrote were to those that were being taken off course by the Judaizers. That's why the visit back right now was of utmost importance. That's why the letter from the Council of of Jerusalem was incredibly important as they unfolded that and said it's grace by faith alone. That's not in the New Testament. But God was living large. Messiah was living large. And as those letters became available, they started to circulate. In fact, did you see that even? The epistle, that's what it was called? The letter from the Council of Jerusalem? That it started to circulate. People were, ah, that's great news. Now, it's not in our Bible because it's not necessary. We have even more profoundness. Right now, we have 66 books. Now, if if someone wants to say that your Bible is not complete, move on. Someone says you have to have another book to explain the Bible? Move on. Someone says the Bible is inaccurate. Move on. Now, if you're at a level where you don't trust the Bible, you don't believe the Bible. Then again, I say this: you make sure that you can prove that Bible is untrue. You won't be able to do it. There's a lot smarter people than we in this room. A guy by the name of C.S. Lewis, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man, and his goal was to write a book saying that the Bible was untrue. He was an atheist, a self-promoted atheist. And his goal was not to just prove to anyone else. It was to prove to himself, and that's where you need to be. You need to prove to yourself that this is not true. C.S. Lewis tried it, and when he got done, he said, it's true. He even says this, I came kicking and screaming back to Jesus. He wasn't even happy about it to start with, but he knew it was truth. And that's the thing today. Find truth and stick to it. That's what Satan is doing in our world of mass communication today is we're just circling around at a high rate of speed and there's no truth on that ship. And that's just the way he wants it. You know, you worry about left-wing conspiracy, you worry about right-wing conspiracies, they're both nuts. They are! If it's not in the book, it's crazy. And Jesus is in the book. I can't believe our time right now. So let's button this up. We were going to go to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Just hold that thought for a moment. Um, God's will. Hopefully from this you've learned. Never go back. And others retreat. And you know, you know what you do if you retreat. you you get your tail between your legs. And you're, well, I should have never went in the first place. It's stupid. Don't do that, because that's Satan working. If Satan, if he can get you out of your game and discourage you, he wins. And the other one is, in the meantime, while you may not know what God's will is for tomorrow today, keep moving. Tomorrow will take care of itself. The Troas moment, guess what? Talk about exciting, though. Woof! The door opens. We're going to Europe. And you're here today. Most of you are here today because of this very session. What if, what if Paul hadn't listened to the, to the Spirit and he went north or went to Asia and wouldn't have went to Europe? Well, God has a way of fixing things. But he did follow God's will. Now, my question for you is we know what happened in Paul's life by following God's will. We literally received the gospel, our forefathers, all of our our ancestors. Here's my question for you. When you're not following God's will, how many people are affected by that? Same God, same Holy Spirit. Do you see how important it is? Don't retreat. Keep moving. Let the doors open. Keep pounding on doors. I've done that my whole life. Just, just pray the Spirit opens your doors. Right? Okay. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is literally what made Paul what he was. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, the image of Jesus Christ. From glory to glory, even as how? By the Spirit of the Lord. The more that you're in the Word of God, the more the Word of God changes you from the inside out. And you know what? You can't even see what's happened to you as much as someone on the outside that has watched your change because of what Jesus Christ has done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's will just becomes more easily recognizable. Okay, I'm done. Questions or comments? Nothing. Okay, wiped you out. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your persistence in doing what needed to get done. Satan has thrown more curveballs, more screwballs at Christians and at your plans, Father. He's tried to destroy what you made in the image of yourself. He continues to try to thwart your purposes at every level, and yet, Father, you win. You win. He tried to have no missionary any missionary journey, and you turned it into two. He tried to resist Paul and Silas. They kept going. Father, that's a message for us. Let's just keep going. Resistance should just prove that there is no backup. We just keep moving. Father, I pray for each one of these here today that you would encourage their lives, their hearts. I know that they desire to follow your will. If they're, a tr- if they're trusting Christ that's just what you do you implant that within them but as the will of God has unfolded Father that when those points of a place that you don't want them to go but rather than be discouraged just keep moving move on move on that their passion and priorities of making disciples of those they come in contact with sharing and caring living by love being saved by grace the basics they just keep going Father protect them Surround them with your love. Thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you for the word. Thank you for all that you're doing. Even when we don't see it, you're working. Take us and make us what you want us to be as we look into the word deeply and intently, wanting to mirror the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.